0: If you wanna go fast, go alone. But if you wanna go far, go with a group. Folks, this podcast is brought to you by The Real Leaders Impact Collaborative, our once a month virtual impact CEO peer groups who meet to support each other with whatever is keeping them up at night. I joined the group back in September, and if I had to say the one major takeaway that I've received, is that to not let things outside business affect your on-court performance. This little change has certainly reflected in our business growth and development. And when our members do well, more lives are transformed. That's what impact is all about. So if you're interested, please email us at info at real-leaders.com. Just say the podcast sent you and you want to speak to someone about the Impact Collaborative. Again, that's info at real-leaders.com. Enjoy the show.
1: And, um, you know, I had the opportunity to work on a lot of different projects, but when I reflected, I realized that those projects where I felt like I was truly improving somebody's life were the ones that I was most passionate about. And not coincidentally, probably the ones I did my best work on, and so, for me, I made a very conscious decision to move into more mission-focused work, first in the area of public health for a while, and then ultimately um, here at OneSite. You are listening
0: to The Real Leaders Podcast, where leaders keep it real. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that message today comes from KT Overby, Executive Director and President of OneSite, who is unlocking potential for $1.1 billion people. And in today's episode, Overbee shares the barriers to getting eye care to those who need it most, the amount of money your company is losing when employees don't have access to eye care, and what decisions one site made when the pandemic halted contributions and global travel. So without further interruption, may I introduce to you. Episode 205 with the real Katie Over B. Enjoy. That being said, folks, let's get this show on the road now. Here we go. Now in five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome everyone to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Elworth Joining us today is KT Overby, the president and executive director of One Site. KT, a pleasure having you on today.
1: Hi there, Kevin. It's great to be here. It's
0: fantastic. Now, KT, I I send out the guest invites to people and I had them come up with a title and the title you came up with was unlocking potential for 1.1 billion people. Who are those 1.1 billion people?
1: So, Kevin, that unleashing the potential for 1.1 billion, that is what OneSight does. The 1.1 billion people refers to the number of people around the world who need access to eye care and glasses and simply don't have it. And we are completely committed to overcoming that barrier and ensuring that they all get the eye care and the eyeglasses that they need.
0: So that's an interesting fact toy, especially for a lot of people growing up in the States. Mm-hmm. 1.1 1. 1 billion people around the world who need access to glasses, don't know how to get them, Can't? it's too far to get them. What are some obstacles that come in the way from these 1.1 billion people uh, being able to uh, receive glasses?
1: So there, there are a number of obstacles. And, you know, what's interesting, Kevin, is what so many people are not aware of is how hard this is for people. And and that's true even in our own communities. So we refer to it as the three A's. So the first is physical access. So there may literally not be a doctor in the area. Or in the case of of communities in the US or, or Europe or places, there may be a doctor, but people might not be able to get to it, right? They don't have public transportation or they can't get off work. The second A is affordability. So maybe you can get to the doctor, but maybe you don't have vision insurance or maybe they don't take it. And then the third is actually just awareness, because a lot of people um, just think the world is blurry and they don't realize that, you know, the vision is the issue and that there's something they can do about it. I'll tell you what, in the U.S. alone, one in four schoolchildren has an undiagnosed vision problem and people don't even realize it and you know we hear all these stories about children who get diagnosed with learning disabilities or other behavioral issues and it's just they just can't see the board Mm. so again we are all about how do we make sure that people get the care when they need it and then if they need glasses they get them
0: Mm. 1.1 billion people let's let's stick to one of those days awareness so for mm-hmm. us, awareness, we're getting out there on social media platforms. We try to go into YouTube to LinkedIn, the Twitters, places like this. We do email marketing, we do messaging. Yeah. How does your messaging or awareness campaigns differentiate from a US, those one and four, to a place like Rwanda?
1: So, you know, you're you're hitting on such an important issue, right? Anytime you're trying to reach people, you have to make sure that it's appropriate to that community or or that. Uh, set of people. So, you know, in places in sub-Saharan Africa, we do a lot of work through radio messaging, sometimes text messaging. We work with local communities to do outreach events where we literally can bring people together and bring the care to them and help them understand that there are options available.
0: Mm. And and when you came into this role three Mm -hmm. years ago, one site, what was the vision for one site? and how important has articulating that vision to your members and your communities all throughout the world been for One Site?
1: So One Site has a long history and it's been very true to this mission mm-hmm. uh, since it was created in 1988. Um, site actually began as a volunteer effort by some Lens Crafters employees who wanted to help local school children. And it's just, it's grown by leaps and bounds since then. As, as you mentioned, we operate all over the world now. And, you know, we've had incredibly strong sponsorship from LensCrafters and then Luxotica. About four and a half years ago, um, Site spun out to be an independent 501c3 organization. And so, and that was about the point that they brought me in. As you said, I joined a, a little over three years ago. And, and so the mission hasn't changed at all. I think the vision is how do we make sure that we can continue to scale that impact so that we can reach as many people as possible and you know, bring the gift of clear sight to people all around the world.
0: So let's help our audience understand and conceptualize what that looks like on the ground in these 11 locations in South, Southeastern Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, places They're a little bit more remote than we may think conceptualize Mm -hmm. that for our audience listening to this
1: sure so so we actually do our work with through two programming models so what you're referring to is what we call our sustainable Mm -hmm. programming model and this is what we consider to be a true long-term solution to the problem so we we operate vision centers in actually 10 countries around the world and um, what we do is we partner with often local governments um, and we set up vision centers, permanent vision centers in district hospitals throughout the country that enable that everyone would have access mm. to them. Okay. we uh, we We hire local people um, and we train them in the skills, whether that be the clinical skills, the running of the optical shop or the manufacturing skills. And then we make sure that that business gets up and running to where you know the revenues from from the sale of glasses, which of course we make sure are affordable to the community. Mm. Um, supports the ongoing um, operational costs and then importantly we make sure again that all of those skills are in place and then we step back and we serve in an advisory or supportive role what we've left in place is an ongoing solution you know by the country for the country having said that we also know that that's not going to be the right solution for every population all the time. There are some areas where there's a much more urgent need and and the the sustainable model doesn't work. So for example, we do a lot of work with refugee populations and in Mm -hmm. refugee camps. Um, We do a lot of work in disadvantaged communities, again, right here in the US. And in those cases, we follow what we call our charitable programming model. And we will literally take a team of volunteers and we'll show up for a day, two days, a week, two weeks um we'll work with local partners who help us identify the people who are in the greatest need um and they will come they get a full comprehensive eye exam if they have some other issue um you know like cataracts or glaucoma we make sure that they get the care they need and we get a referral for that but if they need glasses we actually make those glasses on the spot and give them out to those people free Mm. so
0: it's, it's incredible work that you all do. Uh, and for people listening to that you know, out there, check out the website, check out the videos and real quick, how do people get involved if they want to help out here in the States or outside?
1: Well, we actually really welcome involvement. And, and mm. so, um, you know, you just mentioned our website. We'd love it if everybody would go check that out. It's www.onesite.org. Mm. And in particular, if you want to get involved, you can go to onesite.org forward slash engage um as i said you know we're always looking for volunteers um and we're always looking for people who want to get involved maybe they want to give back in their community um and you know we look for ways to partner to do that
0: so I'm, i'm looking for the business case for this as well and we spoke before the show about you know some of the results that happen in local communities when people have a better set of eyes on them what are some of the results or um you know some of the indicators for business folks listening out there, business folks in the communities yes. that don't really realize a lot of their employees and workers don't have the, you know, the, the correct vision that they need.
1: So this is the thing that to me, Kevin, is so powerful. Yeah. So I always tell people this is about so much more than giving somebody a pair of glasses, right? It's about helping a child to read. It's about helping somebody continue in their job so that they can support their family and give back to their communities. We know, that children with cl- clear sight learn twice as well as children who are suffering from vision problems mm. and you know we all know the impact of education and future opportunities for children and an ongoing impact to society so for us to have the opportunity to help a child see clearly and really get their full learning potential is so critical but even beyond that you know you talked the business case last year a, a worldwide report looked at this 410 billion dollars was lost in global productivity due to poor vision so you know we know that workers are you know 30 percent more productive um and can earn more and then you start looking at things like road safety right and so sure. you know if you if you've got a business where someone is driving a truck or you rely on people who are driving or even just Thinking about the safety of people walking down the sides of roads, particularly in some countries where we know we've got a lot of people on the roads, it makes an enormous um, impact.
0: So what intrigues me as well is that you mentioned that this started from a few employees at Lens Crafters who mm-hmm. wanted to help. Explain that to me a little bit uh, and what, would the, what the original intention was of these employees.
1: Well, literally, it started with a handful of people who knew the power of clear sight because it was their business. Right. And they said, we know that there are people who need this care and today can't get it. So it's the premise of everything that one does. And again, they started out by um, recycling glasses. And, and handing them out that that model has since evolved because we know that, um, you know, we want people to be able to choose the the style and the fit of the glasses that fits best for them so that they will in fact wear the glasses hmm. um, and have that prescription be really set for them. But again, you know, so so this was founded by LensCrafters and Luxottica. And again, they are you know, they've been our founding sponsor since. But you know, the idea that we can leverage the power of the optical industry, but also so many other partners who've come forth to work with us in this to really give back to our communities and strengthen our communities. And as you referenced, it's it's really a virtuous cycle because the people that we're helping in the communities are also our future employees. they are our future customers. Um, they are future leaders.
0: I was having a discussion the other day about the circular economy. And the reason I asked that is because Mm -hmm. it seems like they were recycling these glasses. Mm -hmm. So did lens crafters adopt this new model and integrate that into their net operating margin? Or is this more so they wanted to have this new subsidiary and and have more philanthropic work, because uh, it seems like a good business model. We don't want to waste these glasses. And we can certainly make some money. But what they wanted to do intentionally was give them away. is
1: So I can't speak to the financials of what they were doing back in the 80s and 90s. I, I wasn't part of the operation. Oh. But what I can tell you is it was absolutely rooted in the philanthropic desire to bring clear sight to everyone. And I think mm-hmm. that continues to, to this day.
0: Okay. Well, yeah, it's just always interesting because, you know, if you're like a banana producer and you're throwing away bananas. There's, there is ways to like upcycle these things yeah. and, and make more money out of them. And, um, I was just interested to see kind of how that worked from a lens perspective, be it that prescription mm-hmm. glasses are so difficult to get, like wh- how many glasses go unrecycled like each year, I guess, is is what I'm curious about.
1: Well, again, I can't speak for the entire industry. What I can tell you is that we try to focus as many of those lenses and frames to the people in need Mm -hmm. um, as, as much as we can. And so and that's part of the reason that both at our vision centers as well as in our charitable programming, we actually bring all of the equipment to make sure that we are you know getting the right prescription for the person we have a full you know set of frames that they can choose from so we make sure they get the right fit and then we put them together right there on the spot so nothing goes to waste because we know that we're getting you know the right set of glasses for the right person
0: and i think that's also important from like uh, contributors expected uh mm-hmm. be it a nonprofit or transparent with your financials like how does yeah. how does being transparent with where the money is going? Do you think that has an effect on how much how much contributions you get a year, or is it a specific individual that's actually looking for that?
1: No, no, no. I think that's very important. And and at one site, we are fully committed to transparency. Um, we always have been. We've actually received the highest rating um, through Charity Nav- Charity Navigator. Um, oh, wow. You know, since we've been um, an an independent entity that that's been rated that way. Um, and so, you know, we believe it's important to show people that we are good stewards um, of contributions and that we're making the greatest impact that we can. So we always hold ourselves to the highest benchmarks of the percentage of, um, of funding that goes directly toward our programming impact.
0: And what are cons- some constraints that you've run into with your time here now? Is it, uh, is it the operating cost? Is it distribution? Is it the, the payroll? Is it putting those things together? What are some things that you've run into?
1: You know, I think and, and I'm just going to say this from a pre-COVID standpoint, yeah. Um, but I think our biggest challenge has been um, getting the word out to people about not only how big this problem is, again, one point one billion people around the globe for perspective, that's one in seven people, you know, on our entire planet. So helping people understand how big of an issue it is and then also some of what we were talking about before, you know, why that's important and the downstream impact that can have on so many aspects of life, whether that be productivity, as I mentioned, or, you know, the opportunity for everyone to have equal access. Um, there's gender equity issues and just overall breaking the cycle of poverty.
0: Hmm. What about the gender equity issues, though? Uh, in these, is it in the United States? Is it in different places? What do you mean specifically by that? Well, so specifically,
1: we, we know yeah. that there's actually a higher percentage of people who have vision issues and who don't get the care they need amongst women and children. Uh-huh. So um, so we see that and we see that play out in so many of the other areas, whether it's, you know, equity to you know equitable access to education, edu- a- equitable access to health care. Um, you know, we want to be a part of the solution for that. When we look at, you know, the United Nations has sustainable development goals. And when you look at across all of them, vision isn't specifically mentioned in any one of them, but it is directly linked to multiples. Again, yeah. whether it's road safety, you know, access to, to education, access to, um, you know, being able to have a, a good living wage, um, productivity, gender. There's, there's so many ways that it ties in.
0: KT, when I watched the videos of your employees, you know, mm-hmm. I think the video was in Rwanda. Just when they speak, they speak with such conviction, with such passion about what they do. Do you think that has an impact on your overall results as well? That people are tied to this mission, that they truly care.
1: No doubt about it. So the first thing I have to say is, OneSite is just an incredible team. Um, you know, the the people around the world who work directly with OneSite have you know they have a passion for this mission and they're committed to it because we've all seen the direct impact it makes on individuals and then we're very very fortunate that more broadly we have you know an enormous army of volunteers of people who have been involved with this and again you know once you see somebody put on a pair of glasses and be able to see the face of their child clearly for the first time you get it right and and you see people break down in tears because they can read again they're they're like oh my god i can do my i can keep my job it it has such a profound impact and when you're doing this work you see that you're a direct part of that and so absolutely i, I you know i'm i'm so honored to be able to work alongside this team of people who are so committed to you know the impact that we make together
0: that's a crazy statement uh, i've never heard before when you're able to see you know your family member for the first time clearly it's a, it's transformational what <laughs> been mentioning impact. This is what it's all about. What does impact mean to you?
1: You know, impact to me, I, I look at it on a couple of levels. One is truly the impact to the individual, because at the end of the day, we're all individuals, you know, occupying this earth together, right? And, and so you know, if I can help even one person, I feel like I've sort of helped make our world a little bit better. Um, sure. But when I think more broadly about impact, again, there's real data out there that show that you know you can really make a tremendous you know positive momentum by enabling people in the way that we do. And so when I think about the impact of one site, that that is where we really focus is how do we spread this impact to as many individuals and unlock their human potential so that we can unlock sort of our community potential, if you will.
0: It's a pretty bold statement, you know, like, transforming one person's life is, yeah, that's what makes me happy. You know, is that something you were taught in business school? Is that something that you've kind of just come to a realization upon? Like, how reflective are you in terms of understanding why you do what you do? Have you thought about that?
1: Yeah, I've actually given it a lot of thought. Um, You know, I um, I was, I was brought up it sort of with the belief of to whom much is given, much is expected, and you know when you travel around the world like I have and worked in many different communities and visited refugee camps and things, you realize that you know for many of us, just by virtue of being born where we are, you know and not having ongoing wars or um you know constantly wondering about hunger or or things like that. You know, we've been given a lot just from that, and and so therefore, I do feel a personal responsibility to um, try to give back. And um, you know, I spent I spent the majority of my career, the first part of my career, in the private sector, and I was really fortunate to work for some amazing companies. I spent you know almost sixteen years at Procter and Gamble, and um, you know, I had the opportunity to work on a lot of different projects. But when I reflected, I realized that those projects where I felt like I was truly improving somebody's life were the ones that I was most passionate about mm. and not coincidentally, probably the ones I did my best work on. Mm. And so for me, I made a very conscious decision to move into more mission focused work first in the area of public health for a while, and then ultimately um, here at one site.
0: So let's stick on this timeline. When you come mm-hmm. over to one site, you know, what were some of the first things you realize, Oh, it's different over here. What, what was different about the nonprofit? You know, sector versus the for-profit. How would you in how do you learn and apply different things from a leadership lens?
1: Sure. So, I, you know, I have to say, in 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 some ways, yes, there are differences. Uh, certainly in terms of some of the key metrics and, and things like that, right? Um, but at the end of the day, wherever you work, there has to be a purpose. There has to be a mission that drives some of the key strategic choices. And and I have found that to be true in almost everywhere that I've worked, and so you know, for me, you know, as I as I came into one site, it was clearly it was that vision and the potential impact I could make that was a huge draw. But at the same time, especially because we have this sustainable programming model, which is run as a business, um, you know, you know, and, and really having to understand a lot of the um, the business paradigms and models that go into that there was a lot of transfer knowledge that that came in with that. And so, um, you know, for me, part of the, the importance of this is the fact that this is sustainable and ongoing. Um, and so I, I do think that that actually, there's a lot of similar lessons um, and skills that draw from the for-profit world.
0: Sustainability is something that people define differently. How, would, how do you think about sustainability? You think about longevity and viability versus <laughs> alter like renewable like how do you think about sustainability
1: so you're right um it's a word right now that has probably a million different definitions and it's actually something that's an ongoing conversation for us at OneSite. um you know when we think about sustainability we think about something that literally can go on beyond our direct impact so again when we go in we set these up, we provide all of the, you know, the initial inventory, all of the initial equipment. I mentioned before all of the training. So we make that investment to get everything set up for excellence. But ultimately, it's going to live far beyond you know, our being there. Um, again, from a financial standpoint, it's self-sustaining. Um, from a skill standpoint, we make sure that people are supported to the point that they can actually continue it on without our direct involvement.
0: I love it. And it's it's very difficult to be resilient, you know, in an ever changing business landscape. Things are changing all the time. What happened to one site when COVID hit? What did you experience?
1: (laughs) Well, I think like for all of us, um, you know, we had to very quickly pause, do a reassessment and say, how do we remain true to our mission? While making sure that the health and safety of our employees, our patients, our volunteers was always the primary consideration. Um, I think, you know, from the charitable standpoint, in terms of, you know, it wasn't really a good time to take teams of volunteers around the world so we did take a pause on that um we very very quickly uh rewrote all of our hygiene protocols uh whether that was in our clinics or or in our vision centers to make sure that everyone had the right PPE. we changed our clinic flow for social distancing all the sanitation um and i i have to say we were actually one of the first organizations to get back out in the world last september to start giving care again on a charitable basis on the Sustainable Vision Center standpoint, I'm very, very happy to say that almost all of them remained open this entire mm-hmm. time. Um, obviously, there were some restrictions on care. Sometimes, uh, you know, if there was an outbreak, we really had some temporary closures or we had restrictions on how many patients could come in. But actually, our vision centers remained open and they remain open to the to today. Um, And, you know, I I have to say, Kevin, also, this is where, again, a testament to the strength of the team, Mm. Um, you know, we were, uh, we had plans to actually expand our footprint last year. Um, And, you know, obviously that got delayed a bit, but, you know, the teams looked at it and said, well, how do we do this in a way that's still COVID safe? Normally we fly people in to provide some of the clinical training, couldn't do that. Normally we bring people together to provide some of the other training, couldn't do that. So we actually turned it on its head and said, well, what can we do? And what can we do through remote learning? What can we do with local talent? Um, How can we get out? And maybe we don't open five at once, but we go to each center individually, which on the one hand you would think would be less efficient, but the team found ways to do it that actually turned out to be more efficient. And so while they may not have opened in March and April of last year, we got every one of our vision centers opened last year plan as planned it was more like November December but um, but again I think when you have a mission to which you're committed mm-hmm. you know you think differently and and I have to say that I think there were some great learnings for us last year that we might not have uncovered if we hadn't been forced to innovate and look at it differently it,
0: that's interesting so do you, are you crediting the mission to why you made the decisions to stay in business and and Like that's a bold decision at that time, right? Because everything was kind of shut down. We weren't really sure what was going on, but you made the decision to stay operating in these areas. Were you able to rely upon the mission or walk us through that conversation in that room for why you decided to continue uh, operating the way you were?
1: So again, it goes back to the impact of what we do. Right. And, And if you think about the service that we provide, it's medical care. Right. It's um, just as some of the other essential medical care was. Um, And, you know, I think for us, we also particularly as things started to evolve and we started to look ahead to when will there be a recovery? What will that look like? You know, we can see and we're all still seeing this, um, you know, that many many people were hurt by the pandemic and so again as we look at people you know children who've been out of school and are are trying to learn in a different way and we know that people are falling behind you know many many people have lost jobs and are trying to retrain for for new jobs we want to make sure that vision is not a barrier to that and so helping to ensure Mm, that you know kids get the eye exams we need we can't get out there and screen 20,000 kids in a school the way we normally do. But, you know, the team created an online vision check to at least have, and it's not, you know, the substitute for an eye exam, but it is something that can say, hey, parents, if your child is struggling, let's see if maybe vision is an aspect of it. And if so, now you know that maybe you need to get to an optometrist, you know, when they're open again. Mm -hmm. Or if you can't get to an optometrist, let us know and see if we can help. You know, as people are trying to build new skills and and get back into the workforce, we want to make sure that they have all the tools to do that. So, you know, for us, we really feel like this is a critical and essential service. Um, and that's true whether you're talking about Cincinnati, Ohio, or Kigali, Rwanda. Hmm.
0: What did you learn that in 2020 that you probably didn't know that you could do? Like what I think, and I'm, while you're thinking about this, like I think of America as You know, one of its greatest exports is philanthropy. You know, we're able to send people to these destinations. We're able to donate and contribute to a lot of the problems uh, that we perceive that are going on in around the world. So when something like this happens, you have to build up because a lot of the Americans cannot go over there or, uh, you know, money gets tight. We we saw major losses and contributions to nonprofits all around the world. What did you learn from the loss of that that you didn't think was possible?
1: Well, um, you know, again, there's, there's a loss, but there's also just a redirection, right? When you find different ways to do things. So, for example, even here in the U.S., um, we're still not flying people around because, again, health and safety are the top priority. But because we do believe that we can be part of the solution at a community level, you know, we've been focusing on places where we know that there are communities in need. Um, you know, honestly, uh, along with all of the discussion last year and, and ongoing around, you know, racial injustice and social injustice, again, we want to be a part of the solution at that community level. And so we've really been looking for opportunities to work in communities where we know there is need. And we, we build from the local community volunteers. Um, and we bring people together that way where we know that they're making a difference in their own backyard um and the need is there
0: uh you you kind of make the the comparison with the activism going on here Mm -hmm. and then maybe around the world um when we think about one of your a's awareness Mm -hmm. do you see the same type of awareness campaigns or activism or wants and needs and desires maybe pertain to even the sdgs from rwanda and and sub-saharan africa to the united states and how, how do you utilize these? this movement, this activism, this passion to uh, affect change in your
1: areas? So, uh, you know, again, I, I think that, you know, there are certain things that are common all around the world and then there are certain things that are specific to different communities and populations. And so, um, you know, the focus on some of those messages may differ. But again, from a one site perspective, we really want to drive awareness of how vision can be a part of the solution and how it can really drive people to be able to unlock their own potential and how we can help you know provide that
0: so we're talking about education businesses Mm -hmm. uh, productivity with so many different things that impact each other how do you just sit back and and do you have to work with other different solutions to make sure they can get these glasses let's take for instance education if people don't have meals they're also not going to be able to be as productive in school so hunger Mm -hmm. is a a problem that affects education gender equality affects education climate affects education war like all these different things so around awareness like how how difficult is it to make to keep that clear message of vision Mm -hmm. and do you have to work with other you know, nonprofits in the area or government municipalities to make sure you can affect the change that you want through you know clear eyes.
1: So we we are huge believers in partnership. Um, you know, I say all the time that I really believe in the power of one plus one equals three thousand. So you know, if you think about you know the way we do our work, you know, today we're either partnering with a local government or even if we're um, you know doing work in a local community, we always have a local partner on the ground um who can help make sure that we're serving you know we're identifying and serving the people in the greatest need but what you're talking about is even broader than that and it is something we also we just love to do which is you know there are a lot of other organizations who are working equally as hard to serve the needs of those who are um lacking in in one way or another and so Again, whether that's in the U.S. or whether that's, uh, you know, in another country around the world, we're constantly looking for people who have a similar or related mission in the sense of we're serving the same communities. Or, as you said, it might be food insecurity or education. We look for those common links. If someone is working to ensure that, you know, all the children in a a village or in a country have, you know, access to, to a good education, we, we love to work with them because we know that our work supports theirs and vice versa. So absolutely, we have, we have those conversations all the time and we're always looking for others who are interested in collaborating.
0: So it seems like the c- consistency is really key in terms of uh, your process for these individual locations. Working with those members on the ground was huge mm-hmm. for you in 2020. Is there like a a core process that you like to articulate or from a leadership lens, how do you create consistency in all these different areas?
1: So it's it's really a balance. And I think anybody who's worked across um, across national borders knows this is, you know, on the one hand, we've had tremendous learning from, you know, the over 200 vision centers that we've now opened and the thousands of clinics that we've done over the years. And so we want to always make sure that we're leveraging that learning and we're putting in you know, the, the strong principles that we know. But at the same time, you always have to be flexible. Right. I mean, nothing is cookie cutter because we want to make sure that we're always reacting to the needs of that particular population or that particular location or situation.
0: And how do you choose those locations? out of curiosity, you know, is it like a need? Is it the government? Like, what, what is it specifically that you're looking for in these new locations?
1: So um, so from our sustainable programming standpoint, um, you know, we're we're always looking at, first of all, where is the greatest need? Right. Where do you have the highest levels of need for glasses and the lowest level of care available? Um, but then we also look to ensure that, you know, wherever we go, that we can make it sustainable. So, you know, if, if we're going to set up a system of vision centers, you know that we've got a strong partnership with the government so that we know that eventually it's going to be sustained, and we're going to leave that, that long-term solution in place for the citizens of that country. When we look at it from a charitable programming standpoint, again, the need um, and where we can make the greatest impact is always going to be a huge factor. But at the same time, Again, this gets back to partnerships. We're working with a lot of different partners who um, who say, you know, I want to make a difference in my community. And so that can be a factor for, OK, well, you know, this is a great place that we can go. And, and there's a particular community of need, whether that is a refugee population, whether that is a marginalized community um, where we we look at it and we say we have the opportunity to really you know make a difference by bringing clear sight to a particular population.
0: Mm. And 1.1 billion is, is just such a lofty goal. How far away do you think we are from providing glasses to the rest of the world? And what is business's role, being, being that it's global supply chains are all across the world. How can businesses also contribute to this cause? And how far away do you think we are from giving glasses to the people that need it most?
1: So, I'll tell you you know it is a huge number um One site is not the only you know fantastic organization working against this um and again, this gets back to collaboration both within the vision care sector and beyond. There is no one organization that is going to solve this problem on their own um This is why I say partnership is one plus one equals three thousand, and private sector is a really important partner to be a part of that um. You know, I think that you know all of the things you just mentioned: supply chain systems, innovations, technologies. All of those things are important elements, and we really welcome those partnerships. Um, I will tell you that there is a goal out there that, for sure, by 2050, we want to make sure that every person, every one of those 1.1 billion people who needs glasses, has them, and that's a shared goal of a number of ngos and um companies who work in this space um, and and we're all we are looking for ways we you know I'm, I'm part of a coalition that is looking at how do we bring those synergies together and how do we reach out and find others you know in the private sector in the public sector who can partner with us to accelerate those efforts
0: so it's one of the the large problems just distribution like i would assume we we have the cap- capacity to create one point one billion pairs of prescription glasses. But is distribution the problem? What are you working on with your co-ops and what are some plans to distribute these glasses to these remote areas?
1: So, you know, yes to all of the above. Um, So from a capacity standpoint, um, there will need to be some step changes in economies of scale. There will need to be some new technologies, because, again, it's not just about producing the glasses. It's really about ensuring the quality of care. And so that you know, everyone who has a vision problem, first of all, you know, we have an ethical responsibility to make sure that you know, if they have something bigger going on, that we identify it and we can create that pathway to referral so that they get the care. Um, I can tell you, you know, we we find people at our clinics and at our centers who have, um, you know, much bigger health issues going on, whether that be a, a cardiac issue or diabetes or things like that, those show up in, in an eye exam. And so we wanna make sure that we're, we're properly um, providing the care to people. But then beyond that, like I said, you, know, you can't just hand out the same set of glasses to everyone. We have to make sure that they have the right, you know, we call it refraction and, and get a prescription. So that is a piece of it. Distribution is absolutely a piece of it. But if you go back to those three A's I mentioned, there's also a huge awareness. There are literally people who do not realize that their vision, is um a problem you know you hear kids say it all the time you know they look at they look at leaves on trees and you know if you think about how a child draws a tree and it's just a big green blob well that's how they see it and so one of the most common things we hear after they get glasses is wow i can see the individual leaves mm-hmm. you know you talk to older people whether it's in africa or asia they just say mm, that's just sort of what happens to your eyes when you get older so there's a huge awareness issue um, and then the affordability is, is an enormous um, you know, barrier. It's not as enormous as people would think though, right? So a, a major study was done two years ago that said an investment of $14 billion could solve this issue. And while that sounds like a big number on the surface of it, when you put it into the scope of some of the other global healthcare issues we're facing, again, not even mentioning COVID, but AIDS and malaria, 14 billion is a drop in the bucket hmm. and we, a solution. we don't need to wear or a new medicine. We have a solution. Hmm.
0: It, it's interesting to think about. Uh, I was having a conversation with somebody who was talking about funding like impact investments and he says, you know, it, mm-hmm. we've lost we've we've had this narrow conversation about profitability and that it has to be profitable. Uh, but when you think about the problems that we want to solve as impact investors, people are willing to risk hundreds of thousands of dollars and millions of dollars in investment that they could potentially risk and lose versus, you know, contributing to, uh, you know, a nonprofit with a sustainable mm-hmm. enterprise. So why is it do you think there's such a large gap from investors who want to do good in the world and are willing to put their money to Businesses that are unprofitable and could be, you know, potentially harmful for society, versus taking a look at, Mm -hmm. you know, nonprofits with sustainable centers to actually solve some of the greatest problems, which in turn would contribute to better supply chains, more more productivity.
1: Now that's such an important question, Kevin, and and I think it's a huge opportunity for our sector, including for one site. Because you know, I, I shared some of the numbers earlier about the impact on, on a child's ability to learn, and again, you start looking at you know the impact on graduation rates and contribution to society. I, I shared that 410 billion dollar number in lost global productivity. I think what we have the opportunity to do is tie that together in a stronger story that can make that direct link for people like impact investors. Because there is a very clear story there and I'm not sure we've told it in the way that we need to.
0: Yeah. How, how would you tell elaborate on that a little bit?
1: So I, I think that it is um, it is really about putting together, um, you know, there there's clear cost estimates in terms of what could go into the different aspects of solving the problem. Um, whether that's around glasses or uh, other care, like I said, one global study called it at fourteen billion. but even if you were to break that down into its its components and and you can actually look at it uh, almost down to the individual level. And then if you start to tie that back to so therefore what's the return on that? You know as you start to look at you know what is the impact on a student or a population of students or what is the impact on a population of workers' productivity? And, and how can you translate that into the economic impact? You know, I think you can start to build an, an ROI. We've done, I think, a very good job of talking about the social ROI, but I think when you start getting down into the economic ROI, we probably need to sharpen the pencil a little bit more.
0: Mm, I love that. And, and maybe the biggest concerted effort that's out there now is the 17 UN SDGs. Mm-hmm. Have you found that these goals have been helpful in terms of partnerships, uh, in terms of identifying these issues, funding, uh, mm-hmm. ESG investments? How have you found these goals to be helpful within your operating model?
1: Well, as I said before, I think there's, um, you know, there's now a more recent but but strong realization about the impact of vision on many of those SDGs. And so um, I think it has opened up a lot of conversations around partnership mm. and how, you know, the work that we do in this sector, and as one site, fuels some of the work toward those goals. Um, you know, one site is a part of a group, um, the United Nations Friends of Vision, which is literally working with um, a number of the UN ambassadors to further you know, the advocacy for Vision because of the direct impact on the SDGs. So um, I think it has shifted the um, discussion to a slightly different plane. And I think it's a good thing because again, you start to talk about some of that that global impact, which is linked to so many other factors.
0: And, and I'm thinking about like your, the corporate partners that you could be partnering with. And mm-hmm. with these new goals out, a lot of organizations are trying to adopt many of these goals, but the way we kind of like to look at it is okay, are these goals within, do they fall underneath the CMO or do they fall underneath the COO? Is it actually in, in their mm-hmm. operating model or just is it in their marketing model? Is it greenwashing potentially?
1: So it depends on the partner, right? Okay. So I, I am a very big believer that when we partner with someone, particularly a corporate partner, you know, we, we say it has to be a win, win, win. So clearly we want to come together to make it a win for the patient. Um, you know, it's it's wonderful for one site if someone wants to sponsor some of our work because that helps us further our impact. But it has to be a win for that business, right? It has to either support some of their goals, whether it could be some of their corporate uh, social responsibility goals, it could be um, you know some of their employee engagement goals. Um, it could be simply about building their their equity with their other customers or in their community. So we really always want to engage with them to understand what are their goals. And how do we, you know, how how can we be a positive part of their advancing those goals? So depending on what that is, it could live in a number of different places. Again, you know, you've got a lot of companies right now that are really focused on engagement. Um, they were before COVID. I think it's becoming an even greater discussion now. Um, you know, you've got a lot of younger workers who care a lot that their company is giving back. Um, you've got a lot of people moving around. And so, you know, retention is an issue. And, you know, we have a lot of opportunities that, you know, we can really get employees involved and have them feel great about their employer. We have data that show that, you know, 82 percent of people who get involved with one site um, efforts, it actually improves their view of their employer. Um, and that's that's pretty powerful, you know. On the other hand, we we work with others who you know simply want to be a part of giving back to the community, and they they use this as a part of their CSR guidelines, or you know they've built marketing campaigns about what they're doing. Um, and and again, it furthers their equity as a brand or company that cares.
0: 2020 was really turbulent yeah. time for a lot of corporations <laughs> and a lot of just small business, every business in general. What type of leadership do we need now in this world to get back to where we were to achieve these goals by 2030?
1: I think there's a couple aspects, Um, you know, first of all, I know, you know, we're you're you're real leaders. And so when I think about what is a real leader, I think it goes to your question, right, which is, first of all, you always have to have someone who is thinking about the mission and values of their organization, whether it's nonprofit or for-profit. But they also have, a, have to have a clear vision for how they're going to bring that mission to life to make true impact. And then I would say probably most importantly, they need to be able to work alongside all the members of their organization in order to actually bring that to life. And, and you know when you talk about 2020, I have to tell you, I actually think that that last piece is very, very critical. Um, You know, we spent a lot of time last year, not only figuring out, you know, what are we going to do? What do we change? What gets shut down? What doesn't? But we also spent a lot of time really checking in to make sure that our employees were okay and that they knew that they were valued because none of this gets done without people. Mm. Um, I'm a very big believer in the concept of servant leadership, you know, where you know, my role is is actually to enable the others in the organization, because when when they're enabled and empowered and, and build their capacity, so much more gets done. Right. Um, and again, I think in turbulent times, like we're still going through, um, that connection to the individuals becomes critical.
0: Did you realize that more in 2020 or was this a philosophy you've always had in it just happened to show,
1: you know, I've always believed that um, thinking about your organizational strategy is a business building strategy. Again, it goes back to that statement of, you know, none of this gets done without people. Mm. If you're not investing in people, then you're not going to actually you know have the, the strengths and the capabilities to deliver at the same level. So I have always had that. I think, um, you know, certainly 2020. I think for all of us, brought about there's there's a human element too of just making sure we're all okay. It's been a rough year, right? Not only worrying about people's physical health, um, trying to keep them from getting sick, but there was a huge mental health aspect of this past year, and again, it's still continuing. Um, you know, some of my teams are right now living through a third wave that is horrible. Um, you know, they're still getting sick, their loved ones are getting sick. And so it's been really important. And I've tried as a leader to make sure that people understand that it's just as important that they're taking care of themselves as it is that they're taking care of their jobs. Hmm.
0: Impactful. KT, it's been a pleasure having you on today. I learned a lot. Uh, on that last answer, you talked about vision, you talked about mission, identifying a clear purpose and serving leadership. So let's bring this home, KT Overby. What is your definition? Of a real leader.
1: Um, well, I, I probably already gave it to you, <laughs> um, but again, I think those elements are are critical. It it is it is being focused on a mission um, or a purpose um, that doesn't waver in the middle of changing economic conditions or changing, um, you know, day to day challenges. Um, I think as a leader, you have to be able to see above. The day-to-day or the short-term goals to have a vision to say where are we going, how do we make, bring that mission to life, um, and and that could be a, a one-year vision, but it always has to be rooted in longer term. Um, I tell people all the time, you know, if you don't know if you're going to Boston or Albuquerque, you know, it doesn't matter which bus or train you get on, but you have to know where you're going, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, that's always rooted in what's going to make the greatest impact. And then lastly, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but making sure that you're bringing that vision to life by investing and working alongside the people um, and, and really looking at that as the most important asset.
0: KT, I really enjoyed this conversation today. Thanks for being here for KT Overby. I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, bring your mission to life, know where you're going, and always folks, keep it real. Thanks, KT. Thanks, Kevin. All right, and thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast with KT Overby. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. KT, we had a few questions fly in during that conversation and thank you to those who were following along and I'm going to read the ones that have the most votes. So if you want to still type (laughs) in your questions, do it in the chat box right there. It'll pop up for KT and I and we can answer your, your diligent questions. Okay. First one comes in and, and the question is COVID has really shined a light on inequities around the world. It has disproportionately impacted women. We talked about this as we rebuild our world, plus as a woman in an important leadership role. One, how do you think women can be engaged in this work? And two, how can we bring women to the forefront of decision-making so your services reach more people?
1: So, you know, as we talked about a little bit, you're absolutely right. So, um, you know, women, even before COVID, um, we're impacted by this, um, you know, in terms of uh, challenges and vision, even more so. Um, I think
0: we actually uh, And um, folks, if you want to hear the rest of KT's answers, well, you have to be a part of our free community where you can unlock access to live interviews and ask the guests your direct questions after the show. All you have to do is go online to real-leaders.com slash podcast and click on any upcoming interview to attend the show live. For all the folks listening to this on Apple Podcast, please, please, please leave us a review. And lastly, if you want to email me directly about a leader who is driving change in your community, email us at b at real-leaders.com. That's be at real-leaders.com. That's it for me. Thanks for being a real leader and stay tuned for the next episode. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. And before we go today, I just want to make sure that you are all aware that we have now launched our new Real Leaders membership. If you want to give access to all of Real Leaders magazine, private member-only events, and free courses online, hit the link in the show notes and enter in coupon code Podcast Twenty to receive twenty percent off a one hundred. Dollar a year subscription. Hit the link in the show notes, enter in coupon code podcast 20 to receive access to all of real leaders to get you to the next level. Thanks for listening to this episode and always keep it real.